He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you very much for inviting me, Dan, to speak to you this, this evening. I've actually been to this church on quite a number of occasions in the past for day conferences and evening meetings, but I've never had the opportunity to speak here before, so um, it's great to be with you. Okay. Well, as you heard, I'm a scientist, and I like to have everything organized. So here is my plan. First, I'm going to give you a little bit of the context for the sermon uh, and suggest that creation really is in crisis. Then I'll spend most of my time looking at a little of what the Bible has to say about the care of creation. And then finally, we'll look at mission and specifically what the church can do about these kind of issues. Okay. Well, the last summer was really hot, wasn't it? Particularly the early part of it. And lots of people of my sort of age started comparing it with 1976. I noticed there are a few people of my sort of age out there um, comparing it with 1976. And you can see that on that map that indeed there is a big red spot over the UK and over Western Europe that's really hot and red. Yeah, but if you go to the next thing, look what 2018 is like. That is 2018, and you can see instantly that it is a totally different picture. Now the whole world is above normal. Just look at the Antarctic. It's six degrees C plus over normal, right? It is horrendous. That is the difference. That is the difference. Okay, the next one. The ten hottest years are all since 1998, with the last three being the warmest on the instrumental record. And 2018, in case you're wondering, is currently predicted to be the fourth warmest on record, so another one of the really hottest years. It is heating up, there is no doubt. We're about one degree C above the pre-industrial temperature at the moment. A few weeks ago, you may have seen that the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, 
released a report looking at what humanity needed to do to stay below one and a half degrees centigrade above the pre-industrial temperature. Now remember we've had one already, so we're talking about one and a half. The conclusion was that it's possible, but that we would have to take very drastic actions particularly cutting carbon emissions, but also changing a lot of our diets and other things. To be truthful, we're not showing any sign of doing that at the moment, and the latest figures suggest that 2018 is scheduled to be the year with the highest ever carbon emissions. So we're not on schedule at all. And at the moment, we are on course for something like three to four degrees centigrade above the pre-industrial temperature by the end of this century. If we get that, it is totally disastrous. But it isn't just climate change that we have problems with. Shortly after the IPCC report came out, it was followed by the WWF report, in which they calculated that we've lost about 60% of our animals, our biodiversity, between 1970 and 2014. 60% has gone. That is incredible. Okay. Well, many environmentalists have become increasingly desperate. And some have decided that as governments seem to be reluctant to take the matter seriously, they are going to turn to non-violent direct action. You'll all have seen this in the news. And in fact, in this last week, five Christians from the group Christian Climate Action have been arrested as part of the uh, Extinction Rebellion protest in London. But perhaps it's more surprising that the former Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, has actually endorsed and supported this movement, knowing that it is going to be involved in direct action. He is not exactly known for such radical moves, and it does just show how worried he is about this whole topic. So scientists and environmentalists are very worried. And some, some people are so worried that they have decided to risk arrest in protesting. But in the face of this crisis, what does the Bible have to say? What does the Bible have to say? Well, I think if you ask most Christians for a word that sums up a Christian response to the environment, they would say stewardship, stewardship. For many people, many people would say that Genesis 2 verse 15 is the first commandment. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. Well, it is kind of the first commandment that God gave to humanity. It doesn't speak directly to the man, but the implication of being put in the garden is pretty obvious. 
Two important Hebrew words give us the sense of the verse. Yep, that's it. Right. Um, Avad means cultivate or till, as in the King James Version. You might remember till and keep. To work or to serve. Avad is also the word which is used by the priests in the temple. Serving or worshipping God. So you use Avad actually for the priests worshipping God. And then... The next, the word shema means keep, protect, watch over, or give life to. So we, created in God's image, keep creation by having a protective approach towards it, caring for it, enabling it to flourish. So the first two chapters of Genesis set out the ideal relationships between God, humanity, and the earth. And it's often depicted as this triangle. Many Christian environmentalists would say that we have spent too much time on the God-human line. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, it is a good thing. But that we've neglected the other lines that Christians down the ages have neglected the other lines. Of course, what happens next in Genesis 3 is that things go seriously wrong. Genesis 3.17 says, Cursed is the ground because of you. So the earth suffered then from human sin. And it still does. It still suffers from our sin. The relationships in this triangle then were very seriously damaged. But note, very importantly, creation is not inherently evil or bad. It is marred by human sin, but God made a good creation, and it is still basically good. Many Christians think that there isn't very much in the New Testament that is relevant to the environment. And it is true that there is less there. But remember that the writers of the New Testament regarded the Old Testament as their Bible. And so they didn't need to go over the same material again, over the obvious stuff. They, They believed all of that, so they didn't need to go over it again. But if you look into it a little bit more deeply, you'll see that there is actually quite a lot of relevant material in the Bible, in the New Testament, about the environment. And an interesting place to start is this, John 1. And we're used to having this passage at Christmas and focusing on the birth of Christ, and we'll be coming up to that fairly soon. But it also has very powerful things to say about the value of the material world. So the word is the agent of creation. And all things come into being through him and without him not one thing comes into being. That's verse 3. 
So the whole of creation looks to God as its source. The passage goes on to say that in him was life, that this life was the light of all people, and that this light shines in the darkness. Now John 1 also has great significance for the doctrine of the incarnation. The word became flesh and lived among us. Verse 14. Jesus was without sin and affirmed the goodness of creation by becoming a part of it. And John 1 then connects a very high view of the biblical doctrine of creation and a strongly historical and physical belief in the doctrine of the incarnation. Now if God created all things and the word, that is Christ, was the agent of creation, then we cannot treat any part of it dismissively. Every part of our world, including the climate system and biodiversity, has value. It has value in its own right. If it's been created by God and it's been made through Christ, then it is of value. Let us now turn to our Colossians passage. It's worth reading verses 15 to 17 again. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. If someone ever says to you that there is not much important on creation care in the New Testament, I would just point them to these verses. These verses. Note that he, that is Jesus, is the firstborn over all creation. In this context, firstborn actually means chief, means chief over all creation. And all things were created by him and for him. It's just a pretty amazing passage. But then verse 17 says, He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. How are our world and the whole universe held together in Christ? What does that mean for the way we treat it? I want to focus on that verse and show how it affects every aspect of our faith and lives. We can understand being held together in Christ really in two ways. First, if creation is held together in Christ, it indicates that there is a divine ordering to creation. Now, order can seem kind of a bit static, but the sort of order we find in creation is actually active, 
There's a dynamic sense of relationship within creation. And we can see this in the ordering. At the top of the food chain stands the eagle. The eagle eats smaller birds. Many of the smaller birds eat insects. Many of the insects eat plants. But not only is there an amazing ordering in creation like that, but it's a dynamic ordering. Things can change and it can still hold together. So actually, with the one degree of climate change that we've had, things are changing, they're moving in distribution. But at the moment, things are still holding together. So we have overall a divine ordering, an ordering of creation. But then secondly, there is a divine holding of creation. And in him all things hold together. Now in the last few decades, our concern for the environment has shifted from seeing it as something beautiful that we should have a concern for, along with quite a lot of other concerns, to seeing it as something fragile and precious that we really do need to care for, or it might be lost. We've now entered a third phase, when many see the earth as our life support machine, and that if we're not very careful, it's going to be turned off for humans. And those who took part in the Extinction Rebellion protests this week would certainly see it this way. In other words, our terrible treatment of the rest of nature in the end threatens not simply nature but ourselves, us. Now this is particularly the case with climate change which if we don't take really very prompt action threatens to wipe out millions, if not billions, of people by the end of this century. Just imagine the sort of thing that's happened in California on a very much bigger scale. So how do we understand this within the context of held together in Christ? There is no doubt that climate change in particular presents a very bleak potential future. So what about being held together in Christ? Well, practically, Christ calls us to take up our place in the ordering of creation, caring for the earth as part of our mission as Christians in the world. There is a huge amount that we can do to meet these challenges if we really get moving on them. The COP21 uh, climate change meeting in Paris in December 2015 um, gave a huge boost as it looks like people are actually taking things seriously and tackling the problem worldwide. Now, actions can be taken at all kinds of levels. The individual, the community, the national, and the international. And as churches, we've got a very definite role to play. And it should be part of our mission in the church. 
Now, if we are thinking about mission, then we should look at the official mission statement of the Anglican Communion, our mission statement. It is a great statement. You can see you've got evangelism, discipleship, caring for the poor, writing injustice. And notice the last mark, which was added in 1990. To strive to safeguard the integrity of creation and sustain and renew the life of the earth. It has been there since 1990. You would be amazed how many Anglicans don't know about the five marks of mission. Even Anglican vicars, sorry, but I've discovered quite a lot that have that don't know. Um, my wife, Margot, often calls the, the um, five marks the best-kept secret of the Anglican communion. Um, and so few people seem to know about them. But how are we going to take that fifth mark and put it into action? Well, I'm going to just give you a couple of ideas, two ideas. The first thing is to get educated. I don't think I really need to say that in Oxford. (laughs) And I teach here. Uh, But if the church is going to move forward in this area, then people need to know about the issues. You don't have to become a super genius uh, professor or something like that, but you at least need to know something of the issues. Now, if this is a totally new area to you, we have written a simple guide, this uh, book on the screen, looking at eight of the key issues, so climate change, biodiversity loss, soil, water, human population, and so on. And so I do that, and then my wife Margot, who's a vicar, does a theological, biblical reflection. But it's intended as an introduction for everybody, so that everybody can get up to speed. And on my bookstall, I've also got a few resources, other types of resources, that are written at really all kinds of levels. Uh, We've written some more academic-type material as well. Okay. But if you want to move the church forward and the church community forward, then I would recommend the eco-church scheme from Arosha UK. In January 2016, my wife, Margot and I, uh, went with a huge meeting in the crypt of St. Paul's Cathedral where the keynote speaker was, surprise, surprise, Rowan Williams, Um, in his role as president of Christian Aid, actually. And there was the launch of the new scheme, the scheme uh, Eco Church. And it was great. And we wondered how it was going to do. Okay, next slide. The scheme is focused more than just on climate change. It's a very holistic scheme. So it looks at worship and teaching. It looks at the buildings, it looks at the land, if you've got land, it looks at engagement with the local community and global campaigns, your global mission partners and things like that, 
And crucially, it also looks at the personal lifestyles of the congregation. That's the most difficult one. That's always the difficult one. It is easy to do. It has an online survey, and uh, churches need to register. Their PCCs, in this case, would have to agree to go forward with it and then register, and then you start working towards the different awards. How has it been getting on? Well, the amazing thing is that since the launch, over a thousand churches in England and Wales have registered, and many now have awards. And we also have an eco-diocese scheme, which is fantastic. Two examples of awards, very different examples. Um, the first, the very first bronze award within two weeks of the scheme getting announced was um, Lyme Regis Baptist Church. Lyme Regis Baptist Church. Evangelical Baptist Church. The first gold award, though, was to Hillfield Friary, the Anglican Franciscans. Now, you can see that those two institutions are in many miles apart, theologically, on a whole lot of issues they would disagree. But they are united in a desire for a better future. And I think it's really good that we've got so many different churches involved. From It's a very ecumenical scheme working right across uh, the whole thing. Okay. And the brilliant news is that two weeks ago, Salisbury Diocese became the first eco-diocese in the country. So many congratulations to them. It kind of... um, uh, it's good to have a bit of good news coming out of Salisbury after all that's, that's happened to them recently. Okay. To conclude, we have seen that in many respects the creation really is in crisis. I've tried to open up just a little of the Bible's rich resources on the care of creation. I've given just a couple of ideas on what we could do to help all things hold together. I will end with a prayer from the American sojourners. Maker of all things, creator of heaven and earth, we thank you for the wonder and beauty of nature. May we be ever vigilant and responsible with the world that you have given us, keeping mindful not only that we are your stewards, but also that your creation is a gift for all generations. Amen.